It's phone booth fighting road tripping time again, and Frank and I are headed to Hollywood for the 7th Eddie Bravo Invitational Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Tournament. The lights of Tinseltown are bright, and Leal Optics is keeping the glare out of our eyes with their handmade bamboo sunglasses crafted with our BJJ lifestyle in mind. Log on to LealOptics.com to check out all of their designs as well as rash guards, t-shirts, hats, and more. Frank and I will be rocking our Leal Optics shades all the way to L.A. and back. And if Frank takes a wrong turn and steers us into the Pacific Ocean, we won't lose our sunglasses because their lightweight bamboo design allows them to float. Type in the coupon code PHONEBOOTH10 and save 10% off your order at LealOptics.com. That's L-E-A-O Optics.com. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting. I'm Richard Hunter. He is the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. It's another installment of our Home Invasion series. And uh, this time, Frank, last time we were at Paul Stanley's house in uh, Beverly Hills, which was very cool. Beautiful place. This time, we, uh, not to be outdone, are in the home of Chris Angel here in Las Vegas. Chris, thanks for having us in. How you doing, man? It's an honor to have you here. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun and uh, glad to be on the show. We're excited about this. First of all, thank you for these thrones. We um, we have done a couple of uh, uh, episodes where we've taped in someone's home, but he, no one, even Paul Stanley, didn't have thrones for no, us. It's going to take about a half hour when I get home before my wife can get me back down to, yeah. to Earth. Cause yeah, <laughs> this is this is a beautiful place you have here. Now, now Chris uh, has the the show. Uh, on the Vegas Strip, at the Luxor, Mind Freak, and uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the TV show that Frank just filmed. First, Chris, tell us about, because I know uh, for as many years as you've been on the Strip, there is an all-new show now, right, at the Luxor with you. Yeah, I'm very excited. I did about 3,000 shows of Believe uh, at the Luxor for the last seven and a half years. I didn't have to change the show, but I had an opportunity to do a show that I wanted to do for many, many years and and to show people what I was truly capable of. And Mind Freak Live at the Luxor is a show that uh, combines many different uh, elements from 3D immersion to uh, lasers, pyrotechnic displays, over 50 revolutionary illusions in an experience that uh, will creep you out, will make you laugh, will mystify you, and will blow your mind. So we're very excited about the new show. Is that a little bit of a response to? Because I remember when I first saw Believe, and I, I came out, and friends of mine that had seen it also, and we were talking about, it, I'm like, hey, it was a great show. They're like, yeah, and it was kind of a compliment also too. They're like, mm, too much circus Soleil. I wanted to see more magic. Like I wanted to see more Chris. And I was like, yeah, I guess I could see that, but it was it was cool. And then that's one thing I really loved about your new Mind Freak show. It was all you. I mean, there was other aspects to it, but if you are a fan of your tv show on a and e you're a fan of what you, that's basically it if you came in there and, and that's what you've seen and that's your exposure you are not disappointed by coming to the show at the luxor and seeing your mind free well thank you i mean that's yeah that's true i wanted to create like the ultimate um magic spectacle i wanted to do things that have never been done before things that i've done on television to bring to life you know one of my signature pieces on television is levitating floating flying and i've done that over the luxor and i've done that all over the place uh but i wanted to do it in my live show and i spent almost 20 years developing evolving this revolutionary method and so people get to see that 
uh, among many, many other illusions and signature pieces that I've done on television perform live. So for the people that are skeptics that don't think it's possible to do live, I invite you to come to the Luxor and see Mind Freak for yourself. If I could draw a musical analogy, you know, when we when we talk to musicians on the show and we talk about songwriting and they'll say, you know, sometimes a hit song came to them in five minutes while they were waiting on a taxi. And other times it was in the back of their head for six months before they really flushed it all out. Do the illusions come to you in a variety of ways like that? Sometimes is it just as quick as the time it takes to think of it? And then sometimes is it? A, a lengthy process uh, you hit the nail on the head uh sometimes it can be uh it can take two weeks it could be very or take a day yeah. uh and it just flows and it just falls together beautifully um considering this show that i have at the luxor and the complexity um and considering that you know the technology that we're employing has never been done, no one has ever done in Las Vegas 3D immersion experiences combined with you know magic this is a brand new concept and it's a very complicated one but it just fell together and it was meant to be um, but sometimes you know you can spend um, you know 20 years developing one idea because the technology is not available at the time and uh, and you have to evolve and develop an idea and it's sometimes a very lengthy process so you have to have a lot of patience and persevere you know, one thing I don't think that a lot of people see, and it's funny, sitting here talking about it, I feel like when we were sharing our stories of, well, I tore this, I've had surgery on this, it's like I'm talking to another guy who's been fighting for the last, you know, 20 years, not doing magic. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people really see, that I understand there's a lot of technique and strategy and planning out, but it's also very dangerous. You come around, you've come upon very serious career-ending injuries that uh, through doing the, uh, the, the performances you had. Without a question, I mean, it is a fight for me. It's a fight against myself to be the best that I can be as a human being and as, a, as an artist. And, you know, I put my life on the line each and every single performance uh, of Mind Freak Live and even when I tour uh, because of what I'm doing and with my demonstrations. I, I don't play it safe. I take lots of chances. And I have, you know, in an evening, a 90-minute show done twice a night, that's uh, 180 minutes that I could seriously be injured or killed. So, um, and I've had a lot of, you know, major injuries throughout my career, both on television and even with my live shows. But that doesn't stop me from wanting to bring the excitement and the thrill to the public. So for me, uh, I have a very thick skin. Uh, What doesn't kill me, it makes me stronger. And uh, it's all about, you know, leaving it on the stage very much like for you, leaving it in the octagon. To draw a fine analogy, I know as a, as, as a magician, as an illusionist, you must start with basics, much like, you know, our first day of jujitsu class and learning fundamentals. And as, as, as high and far as you go with it, all the way up to your, your black belt and UFC championships like Frank, uh, how much of those fundamentals do you still rely on? Like how much of it is still that, that close-up sleight-of-hand mechanics? Well, it's, it's the nucleus of, of my being, right? So yeah. it's, uh, it's imperative to have and to build upon um, the principles and the method- methodology that have been employed for many years. But for me, it's also about perpetuating 
I'm going into the future and trying to discover and push the envelope and be able to do things that have never been seen before, create experiences that have never been done. So I'm not interested in doing what has been done. I'm interested in doing what hasn't. And by uh, putting the time, effort, and research and discipline in um, and building upon that is how you discover those things. And they're uh, – it's a commitment, you know, it's a commitment is it's, it's, it's not about money for me. It's not about fame. It's about being the best I can be as an artist and, and as a person. And that's, um, you know, something that evolves and transforms, um, constantly and probably will hopefully for the rest of my life. One thing I think that I've wanted to ask you is that when I go to the gym and I train my skill set. I have coaches that sit there and watch and go, hey, you missed the arm here. Um, he grabbed you there and, and passed the guard there. You got punched with this. This is what, you know, we can break it down, sit there and, and deconstruct what's going on and rebuild it back up. Obviously, I don't try to share that with my opponent, but it's not like it's something where I have to keep it to myself. I'll even do seminars and, and explain to people what I'm doing. How are you able to constantly train and keep yourself sharp and, and work on things when in reality you're not sitting there and, hey, guys, this is how I do this. Did you see my hand move here? Did you see this? How does someone basically, how do you constantly drill or practice? Well, it's about the mind, body, and spirit. You know, when they work together, then anything is truly possible. And for me, it's really about the mental state. My body is a slave to my mind. So when I'm training for my levitation, which is an insanely physical demonstration that you have to have tremendous core strength. You have to have the ability to control your entire body body in ways that you never did in scenarios and positions that you're not used to. Um, it's all about developing those, those, those skills and those tiny little muscles that don't typically do that. So for me, it's about putting in the time, effort, and energy and the focus to be able to accomplish that, whether it's me doing a sleight of hand move and having my team um, look at something and say, hey, you know, that could be a little tighter or me watching some tape of myself and saying, hey, that could be a little bit better. I'm my worst enemy because I don't I don't believe my own hype. You know, I'm always about making it the best it can be and trying to always achieve perfection, which is intangible it's not tangible it's like water you can't hold on to it and for me it's about listening to the audience listening to people i trust and trying to evolve and develop and transform and and really master whatever it is that i'm doing and uh i'll probably never master anything let's talk about the tv show uh we we just shot here with uh with, with frank now this is uh the the show is called chris angel tricked with the supernaturalist it's going to air this october on a and e i'm back home i've done over 100 episodes of mind freak on a and e and uh i'm very excited to be back home and uh, and do this show which is going to be really obnoxiously delicious it's going to be crazy it's going to be in your face demonstrations that we haven't seen and just really raw very provocative and uh and it's not going to be presenting magic 
like it's ever been presented before. And case in point, Frank picked me up today. He said, uh, jump in the car. I said, where are we going? He said, we're going over to Chris Angel's house. I said, why? Uh, he said, I'm going to punch him in the stomach. <laughs> I said, what happened? I thought you were friends. He said, no. He, won't. <laughs> he asked me to come over and do this. I thought, well, that's a horrible idea. That's well, a terrible. I would have if I, I would have tried to talk you out of it. Well, I, you, I wish you would have. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, this stemmed from Houdini. Houdini was... Uh, yeah you know, an incredible uh, entertainer for his day and age. And he said that he could take any man's punch. It's actually what cost him his life uh, in 1926 on Halloween when he died of appendicitis after being punched uh, by some college kids after a show that uh, asked if he could take any man's punch. And he said yes. And, well, they wowed him. And they never gave him an opportunity to prepare Mm -hmm. um, for, for it physically. Um, I always have been fascinated by that. I am so fascinated by mixed martial arts. I think if I wasn't in magic, that would have been something I would have probably pursued, maybe not successfully, but it's something I'm very passionate about, something I love. I did you know, study martial arts for many years as a kid, as a teenager, and it's a chess game. It's the ultimate chess game between you and your opponent and all of the preparation, all of the coaching, all of the training basically is out the window for that moment that you're in the octagon and whether or not you choose to focus and use the game plan that you, that, that you put together with your team. But ultimately, it's your decision um, and it's you against another person that wants and desires the same thing. And for me, that's how I thought about my career. And that's why I'm so competitive because I've always thought of it as a fight to achieve what it is I want. And if anybody's standing in my way, it's like you have to be a ninja to get through them or past them to get to that goal Mm -hmm. and to achieve it. So, um, you know, Houdini uh, did this back then, um, but he also did it with like, you know, people in bars and like college students, you know, that's a very different um, scenario than having Frank Mir, you know, a two-time heavyweight champion. The guy has broken more bones in the UFC than any other person. You know, he he's more TKOs, more um, tap outs. He has provided for his opponents than anybody else. The guy is a, you know, a machine. And he also is 285 pounds, and I'm soaking wet, probably 166. And so I thought if I can get someone like Frank, someone like Chuck Liddell, someone like um, uh, Randy Couture, and even Paige Van Zant, who I did something else with, but then she wanted to punch me. And at a buck 35, she has a good shot. But honestly, nothing compared to, uh, you know, Frank. I mean, Frank, you know gave me a great shot and uh you know he obviously could have uh you know uh broken my ribs he could have done a lot of internal damage and uh i i prepared myself physically mentally and i uh, really wanted to see if i'd be able to take that and uh it was amazing you know it was an absolutely amazing experience all the guys that and gal that that gave me a, a shot you know, it was really amazing um, to see what they endure in a fight and to think about how incredible 
uh, their bodies are and their mental power of being able to take those shots, not once like I did, but constantly when they're not prepared, you know, it, it really gives you a much greater respect for the sport, for their discipline, and for how much time, effort, and training they put forth to be the best. Actually, that's one thing that I can attest to. <laughs> I feel very confident that Houdini didn't get hit by anybody that could hit as hard as I can hit. <laughs> so I was very impressed. In fact, that's one thing that, you know, you, you know, Chris, you know, you have one of the sharpest minds. Obviously, you're able to do things that very few other people in the world even come close to, and you surpass over even those. Um, physically, really a, a top-level athlete to be able to perform and do the things you're able to do day in and day out, your physical discipline, mental discipline. But there's guys that have that. There are people out there that are sharp mentally. There are people out there that are good athletes. But getting hit in a fight, that really kind of, you know, what they say kind of, you know, divides the boys from the men, you know. And the funny part is in the in our when they show it, anybody listening, they watch, I landed a real shot. Yeah. At first I came here, I thought the same thing everybody else. You know, I'm going, oh, you know, you're not going to lift your shirt up. There'll be something under there. There's going to be some kind of hack on this. And no, I went there. He's like, no, hit me. I'm like, really? Just change. Yeah, go ahead, swing. In fact, then, you know, we go through it and I hit him and he's like, no, that, that's not really hard enough. So if anybody watches him lift up his shirt, his stomach's already red because I've already blasted him once. And he goes, no, give it to me. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and just, I'll hit him. I'll give him what he's asking for. He's asked me enough times. Swing for real. All right, I'm going to swing for real. I'm really going to tag you like if we were in a fight, how I would tag you. And when I hit him and I sit there and I'm even looking, I'm like, oh, man, maybe I made a mistake. And then all of a sudden Chris stands up. I'm like, that's actually really impressive. Sit there, take a shot like that and recover and be able to, you know, walk off and smile afterwards. That would have, if you're saying if you would have gone a different road in life, been an MMA guy, absolutely, I agree, you could have done it because of your ability to, one thing's being smart, one thing's being a good athlete, but able to withstand pain. That's something that a lot of guys just, they're afraid of. One of the most painful things that I've ever endured in my life is to hang by four fish hooks through my flesh. I was oh. the first person to do this from a helicopter. Uh. No painkillers, no numbing cream. I did it completely legit. And I literally flew from a helicopter over the Valley of Fire over 1,000 feet. And I had another helicopter with a camera shooting it. And I never put into the equation in my game plan that there would be a downdraft from that chopper. So it was literally creating turbulence for me. Oh. And so it's not like you're just hanging there. No. You're being pushed down I'm at the same time. I'm being pushed and pulled. Ex- oh. Just the worst pain you can ever imagine. And what I had really to do out in my mind. No, and what <laughs> I had to do in my mind is I had to almost accept the pain become one with the pain mm. and realize, and it sounds strange, that it was almost, the pain was beautiful because it was a sense of being alive. It was the most profound moment of really feeling alive because I felt the pain. And it's all about how your brain works and articulates you know, what you're going through to make you adapt and be able to accept and get through it. That's something I learned from my dad. When my dad had cancer and he was dying and he was given three weeks to live and he said, I'm not dying. I'm going to live for three more years to see my niece, which is my brother's daughter, be born. My dad just did it. And it just showed me that the body really is a slave to the mind. And what you put in your mind is what you get out of your body. 
And I don't think we really understand the full potential of the mind. I just know my potential. When I put something in my head, I don't care who it is, what it is. If it's in my head, I will achieve it no matter what I have to go through because one of my attributes is that I'm a very strong-minded, very strong-headed person when I get something in there that I want to achieve. And that's something that more people should have because they can you know, can achieve much greater success like you. I mean, think about your accident. Think about the doctor saying that you would never come back from that, that your career was done, all of those things. Yet, why did Frank Mir say, no, I'm going to do what these people who are trained to do are telling me I can't do. I'm untrained and I'm going to do this and I'm not a doctor, but my body, my mind, my focus is going to allow me to flourish and prove all these people wrong. That's the power of the mind when you said it. And that's why you have accomplished the incredible um, uh, you know, things that you've done with your life because of that mindset, which is more important than the physicality. The physicality will always follow what your mind puts you know, puts out there. And I, I really believe that because um, mindset uh, is, 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 is to do something, to say, I'm going to train every day. I'm going to do this every day. And I'm, when you're tired, when you don't feel well, when you, all those things, and you're going to do your training camp, and you're, not, and you're going to do it 110%, only you can do that. And only you can get you prepared. So for me, I'm inspired by that. And I'm inspired by your story because you're living proof how strong the mind is. I to to uh, attest to the willpower. I've just as you're talking here, Chris. I'm I'm sitting to your right, and I'm looking at your exposed right shoulder here. Now you've got the the uh, the brand here on uh, on your your shoulder, and I remember this episode. And you know, we were just talking earlier, Frank, about you know you were saying, okay, I showed up. I thought this was going to be some sort of a trick or an illusion or something. Clearly, you're you're still branded uh, to this day. So you actually have some physical reminders of I cut uh, my I had my shoulder cut without any pain any kill anything yeah. I just had my logo cut in my arm which is the cut right not the yeah, yeah it was yeah, the scarification yeah, yeah. and uh yeah it was uh, I hung for six hours from fish hooks on on in Times Square I set the record for that I spent 24 hours on the water uh you know upside down the first hour 23 hours right side up with leg irons and I think it was like 20 pounds at the time you know I've done some really crazy things and it was more about mental strength than it was physical strength do you have the I'd like to imagine the conversation right before the logo is cut into your arm where you say we're definitely sticking with this logo right we're good with this logo. We, I mean, yeah, it's trademark yes yeah, sure we're, we're committed before I uh, before I go here I want to ask about your nod to history before uh, we we go here because uh, uh, I love history I as soon as uh, Frank mentioned that that we that he was doing this with you even uh, before I heard your explanation I said oh that's how Houdini died like I thought you know this must be like an homage to Houdini and and now that we're in your office here in your home uh, my first exposure to magic was Doug Henning and I see you have the uh, you have some things on the wall from uh, uh, Magic's past. So tell us a little bit about your your collection here, maybe a few of the high points. Yeah, well, I think the past, you know, kind of predicts the future, right? So uh, Doug Henning, for an example, uh, as an example, uh, was a, a magician 
you know, in his day, he was a product of the times. I have a lot of Doug Henning apparatus, illusions, magic. If you look over there, that's from his Broadway show, that chalice over there. It's the only one ever made. Oh. Uh, Doug Henning's holding it in that picture. I own it. The egg was from his Merlin show. Those were the prototypes, the horse over there. Um, the miniature horse, obviously, yeah. and the, and yeah. the chair. Uh, all those were um, illusions that were made as prototypes before he made them. And then the uh, handkerchiefs up there in that bottle were uh, the last uh, uh, version that he did before he passed away. It's in that picture over there. Uh-huh. And that's the actual um, device right up there. And I have stuff from the 18th century, the 19th century. Yeah, I see some of the Houdini stuff. Yeah, over the Houdini. Here. I have Houdini's handcuffs sitting over there as actual handcuffs. They were from the Houdini Museum that I purchased them from. Um, I have a lot of different things, and uh, it just kind of reminds me of, you know, of 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 where it all came from, and you know the fact that back then. This stuff fooled people, and a lot of it wouldn't fool people today because society has become so much more sophisticated, and their attention span is a lot uh, less. So you have to kind of embrace this in order to forward think about what can I do in the future that's going to have that wow factor and that's going to captivate the imagination of today's society. Yeah, uh, switching gears a little bit here, but so then I want to make sure that we uh, we cover before we go. Uh, September twelfth. September twelfth is uh, the most important event of my life, and I'm so honored to have you uh, there. It's going to be called Help. It's Heal Every Life Possible, and it's a charity where we're trying to raise one million dollars in one night. One hundred percent of every single cent I fund it myself will go to research and treatment for pediatric cancer. One child every three minutes will be diagnosed with cancer, and that's a statistic that we must make disappear. And with everybody's help, we can do that. Uh, people like uh, you said you were confirmed, right? Uh, we have uh, uh, Frank that's going to be there. We have Jerry Lewis that's going to be there. Uh, wow. Tony Orlando. Floyd, uh, uh, Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather. Let's go back to Jerry Lewis for a uh, second. Yeah. Jerry Lewis is going to be there? He's going to be on stage oh, with Tony excellent. Orlando, right. Wayne Newton, Siegfried and Roy. Mike Tyson's going to be there. Yeah. Um, uh, we have um, uh, Gene Simmons of Kiss is yes. going to be there. Black Eyed Peas, Taboo, uh, Richie Sambora of the Bon, jo- of bon Jovi, um, just Dee Schneider of Twisted Sister, uh, and we've even had people contribute like Oprah Winfrey, Celine Dion, Jennifer Lopez, Britney Spears, um, uh, Elton John. So it's going to be an event. It's only fifty dollars for a ticket. If people want information, they can go to chrisangelhelp.com. And they can get a $50 ticket to see this legendary evening with incredible performances and celebrities and celebrity auctions. And if you can't make it, you can still make a difference by going to chrisangelhelp.com. It would be great, you know. Out of every $100 that the American Cancer Institute raises, less than 70 cents goes to pediatric cancer. That's just ridiculous. And we got to do something about it. Every $100 or every dollar? Every $100. Wow. Less than 70 cents. And out of... Basically, uh, that's one statistic. Another crazy statistic is that out of almost $5 billion that's spent by the National Cancer uh, uh, Institute, less than 3% goes for 12 different types of pediatric cancer. So I'm trying to go in front of Congress to talk on behalf of these kids because I have a child. 
um, Johnny Christopher, who just turned two, that has been going through cancer, ALL, um, since last year. He has three years of treatment. No child uh, should ever go through what my son's going through. Blood transfusions, um, spinal taps, chemo. It's a crime. It's, it's so sad. I've been doing work with children way before I had my son with kids with cancer. And it puts it in a whole different perspective when it's your own son. But it makes me feel like I've been put on this earth, blessed with all the success for a greater cause, and that is children. So please go to chrisangelhealth.com to make a difference. Just right what you said at the end is so key because I think when people hear that, you know, everybody would like to do something and everybody can by by purchasing a ticket, but there's very few people who are fortunate enough to be in a position to orchestrate something, you know, to stage something. And and like you said, it it, it feels like somebody who has had the good fortune that you've had recognizes that here's your here's your opportunity. You have an ability to kickstart something that that everyone else can follow, can contribute to, but very few people unfortunately, would be in a position to actually, you know, primarily facilitate it. Well, I think that's why I'm here, and I think that's why my son has leukemia, because I feel like this is my true mission in Mm -hmm. life. This is what, why I'm here, to try to be their voice, to try to raise awareness, and to uh, make a difference in a positive way in sometimes a very negative world, especially on the internet, uh, to try to do something good. And so September 12th is the beginning of these events that I hope to have annually and uh, hopefully we can do a lot of good and you know what just the community like Frank and so many people are coming together for this cause and it really humbles my heart to see the pure love that that these people have for children Uh, even Gary Oldman you know this this legendary actor the fact that he's going to come from California like Gene Simmons to be there to personally be there um, is really uh, just a beautiful thing. So I think the feeling that you get from giving is far greater than, than getting. And yeah. I've discovered that a long time ago, and, uh, and hopefully we can really make a difference. No, I'm That's... very happy that you're able to do this because I think there's a lot of people out in the world. I've, I'm under the impression that most people are actually inherently good. I don't think that the most of the world is bad. It's just that if 100 people you run into and one's that dick – then you you think people are dick. That's what you remember. But then with all these people you talk about, like Gary Oldman, you know, uh, Gene Simmons, it takes that one person to kind of unite people on a cause. So I'm very uh, proud to have you as a friend and that you're able to actually stand up and give this direction because there's so many people that obviously are good people but on our own don't have the direction that you now have actually given people to be able to put a focus and you see the enemy childhood cancer now we can actually have some kind of attack plan for it yeah and oh by the way and even i have to give a shout out to dana white because dana white was outstanding he he created the ultimate package that people can bid for and it's to literally buy the opportunity to not only meet dana but to watch any fight you wish with your with your with your elbows on the octagon like sitting next to him yeah which is, you know, just amazing. You can't buy that ticket. Mm-hmm. So, and plus many other things that he provided. So, uh, he, he really came through, Dana. Thank and if you. you if you lose out on that auction, 
for $20, Frank will punch you in the stomach in the parking lot. So he, we'll did it for, up, he did it for me for yeah, free. We'll set I got a little booth, like a kissing booth. You, you know, offered yeah. me dinner. Except, yeah. yeah. That's right. Be, uh, I, I, we have dinner We're going to feed It'll me. Be, uh, I'm motivated by food. That's right. Well, <laughs> fortunately for you, uh, it's time for us to wrap up so we can uh, I- enjoy some cuisine here at uh, Chris Angel's house. But consider our Phone Booth Fighting podcast firmly in support of the September 12th event, and Absolutely. we'll make sure to promote I, I just it had one, on the show. one quick question, if yeah. I could. So Paul Stanley... I've 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 met him briefly one time. One, how did you get that? And two, what was it like? It was magic, Chris. <laughs> he okay. Can I? I want you to jump in, but let me. Can I just no? Set no, the yeah, stage? Set the, okay. This is his childhood hero. Sure. So going there, he set the bar very high. Okay. And Paul completely jumped over it. So we're going there. I mean, this is, we're walking into, like, if we were to go to Bruce Lee's house, okay. how I would be acting. Bruce right. Lee was still around. You're like, hey, we're going to go check out Bruce Lee. Uh, you might not be able to get a word out of me. I might, like, lock up on you. you know what I mean? so. Chris, uh, so, so what happened was, uh, first of all, uh, uh, you and I are close to the same age. I mean, you know, kids our age. Kiss, I mean, they were superheroes. You know, Not a question. They, they were what made me, I mean, Paul Stanley was what made me want to be a musician, which is the first career I failed at. I'm busy trying to fail at this one, but that was the first one. And, and, uh, and really, I told Frank, I said, no hyperbole. This guy had a greater influence on me than my own dad did. I mean, he. I, I really believe that as a child, if you were that big of a fan of Kiss, you even, I even think to the point that whoever your favorite member was, you kind of grew up to have a personality that most closely resembled that member. And I was a Paul guy. I mean, this is, he was my absolute favorite member. And, you know, seeing him live, my parents took me to see him when I was seven. I talked him into it. It's the night that I saw what I wanted to be. I wanted to be in entertainment. So anyway, uh, I, you know, Frank and I become friends. We're doing the show together, all this sort of thing. One night I'm, we're just looking through his Twitter and I notice not only does Paul Stanley follow him and not only is Paul Stanley, is Frank the only fighter Paul follows, but Paul is such a Frank Mir fan that he's posting these good luck messages before his fights, like these motivational pictures wow. and all this kind of stuff. And well-written and, stuff. Like, you read yeah. it, you're like, yeah. Okay, but, but, yeah. but why, why, why did, was it was because of your story? Is that why he became a big... I think he uh, watched one of the fights and then got a little bit of a history on me. And from there, was just uh, taken up by. Remember him. what he said? It was too was the fact that Frank had kind of reinvented him. So you know what we're talking about, like like oh, constantly right. working to reinvent yourself. Right. You were talking about like the new Mind Freak show, things like that. That Frank had be, be, the fact to learn how to start boxing. Yeah, he was a submission specialist. But then, despite having already had the world title twice, he learned to be a world class striker and was incorporating that into his game. So we see this in, the, in his Twitter feed, and I'm just floored. And I don't get I'm really I, mean, I don't get starstruck. And so no. when Frank sees my reaction. And he's like, what's going on with you? Yeah. And I said, Frank, just you got to DM him. Just DM him and let's see what happens. So they get a conversation going. I was hoping that maybe we just get him on the phone sometime, you know, on the show. And they get this conversation going. And he's like, why don't you guys just come to my house and set up and I'll co-host a podcast <laughs> with you. So I got to listen to this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's available it, five it, episodes back uh, okay. right now at phoneboothfighting.com. It's right there in iTunes. Uh, and uh, just about a month ago. So we go up there at the beginning of June. He invites us to his house. And you know, Chris, it's one of those things where they say, be, care- you know, be careful about meeting your heroes yes. and all that kind of stuff. And I really tried to measure my expectations. I mean, I thought he would be nice and everything, but I thought, you know, don't expect too much. He was just, he was the most genuine guy. He was so giving of his time. We spent an entire afternoon at his house. He co-hosted the entire show with us. I think we went about an hour and a half. 
And then, uh, I mean, even to the point that uh, uh, he enjoys cooking. And uh, I told him, you know, uh, that uh, my my girlfriend was with me and she's a really good vegan cook. So he was giving her like his vegan version of his special Brussels sprouts. He He wanted to make sure she left with the recipe and this kind of stuff. And it just. Class act. It just was perfect. Like it just kind of couldn't have been any better. And you know what it made me feel good uh, about? And I'd love to get your thoughts on this because I know you you meet fans all the time. It was one of those things where it made me feel good about my judge of character. You know what I'm saying? Like, I liked leaving there thinking, I knew there was a... I liked the fact that I picked him to be inspired by. I liked the fact that I always connected with him. Because the worst thing would be meeting somebody that you looked up to and you're just like, what a dick. Yeah, and and maybe what does that say about me? Right. But I liked the fact that that was... was, uh, the guy. So, I mean, I can tell by your reaction you were a fan, too. Oh, just, I was a big you know. fan. Gene Simmons says yeah. that I, you know, the Chris, because Peter Chris, C-R-I-S-S. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, my name is Chris, C-R-I-S-S. Yeah. So, Gene always tells the story um, that Chris Angel got the Chris from Kiss. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, I was I was a huge Kiss fan. And I became friends with Bill O'Coin, their manager. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, unfortunately, passed mm-hmm. some years ago. But, you know, Bill was such a great guy, and I used to hear Kiss stories all the time. And, you know, I had the pleasure of uh, seeing them here in Vegas and had a fantastic time. But, you know, Kiss, um, you know, really accomplished so much and so much more um, than the critics and that people back in the day ever gave them credit for. Because those bands that were the critics' choice are like, where and who? Yeah. And Kiss survived the test of time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really entertainment in a way that, you know, they, they created. I mean, there's bands like Motley Crue and all these bands yeah. that were totally inspired by Kiss. And, um, yeah, I, I totally was a big, big Kiss fan. I had the posters on my wall yeah. and... When I used to go through New York City to go to Pennsylvania to see my uncle, I'd be looking in the street because Dress to Kill had them on the street. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I would like look because I didn't know, I, you know, no common sense back then. But, but yeah, I, I was just curious because uh, 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 Paul Stanley also did um, a podcast with Joe Rogan. And, yeah, I heard that one. And I, and I watched that. And I just thought the guy is really intelligent. That's you know? what I wanted to put in. When we went there, yeah. we were sitting there talking and I – at one point, I was like, I, I got to say something, maybe ask a question, because he was speaking, and I never once wanted to interrupt. I told uh, Richard when we left, I'm like, that guy's like a sage Zen master. His understanding of life, some of the, the just the quick analogies that were just super simple, his like non-anger towards anybody, just going like, well, you know, you let this person in your life, and... You understand what people, you know, what they're for and what they're not. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, he's talking. He goes, you know, hey, if someone's, uh, you know, you know, don't get a peach and be upset that it's not an apple. I'm like, that is like we're, at one point when he was talking about just, you know, overcoming adversity and, 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 and different things as far as the human spirit. I look over and my wife's even crying because he was so inspiring as a human being that when we left, I was like, wow. Like, and I told Richard, as much as you 
really were telling me how great this human being was going to be. Um, he didn't disappoint. He actually surpassed it. You didn't undersell that at all. Or, you know, like, wow, what a human being. And the great thing was I got to pass it on, you know. So it was like it was a very cool experience for me. But then leaving, it's like I, now Frank's digging him. You know, oh, and like the so wife. I made that We have connection. the book at the house. Right? Yeah, yeah, she went yeah. through, I think at that point, he, uh, uh, Richard, you know, hey, here's his autobiography. Or we have the book. I didn't get to get a hold of it. My wife's grabbing it and just, I mean, slamming 100, 200 pages a night, just going through. I'm like, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, hey, babe, do you mind turning the light off? I'm like getting a good night's sleep here, you know? She goes, did you know this? I'm like, no, you have the book. I can't get to it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you think about his, you know, life experience, you know, like, it, it's just mind-blowing, you know? Uh, what he experienced in his life is, is why he is so knowledgeable, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's yes. that... It's that wisdom, you know, and uh, wow, I was just curious because yeah, maybe you mentioned we can get that. him to come out September twelfth. Oh, yeah. that would be. I mean, honestly, oh, I was insane. just thinking. I'm like, wait, if Gene Simmons is there, they're obviously yeah. not on tour at that time. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's that would be. Oh my god, that would be. You two would get along, right? I yeah, mean, you're cut oh, yeah. from the same cloth. You uh, guys that would be. That would be amazing. All yeah. right, well, that's our homework. Yeah, we got to get to work see. on that. Let's see what we can do. Okay, so thank you so thank much you for so all much hospitality for doing it. Normally, when Frank and I go over to someone's house and and he assaults them, we're asked to leave. And, and you, and, uh, by contrast, were like, great, now let's go tape a podcast. You're yeah. like the greatest host ever. So thank you for no, that. No, this has been really fun. And I just want to say uh, thank you for having me on. And I want to thank you, Frank. You are a class act. Um, not only are you a great champion, you're a great human being. And I have all the respect in the world for you. God bless thank you. Thank you. That's huge coming from you. Thank you. This has been another episode of Phone Booth Fighting's Home Invasion with Frank Mir, Richard Hunter, and our uh, victim, this week, the amazing, the oh. one and only Chris Angel. Thanks for the time, man. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with